0: This is the eighth week in a series of sermons concerning uh, walking in truth. The tagline for our sermon series has been, um, I have no greater joy, 3 John 4, I have no greater joy than to know that my children are walking in truth. I have lots of aspirations for Christopher and Levi as 21 and almost 19 years old. I have lots of goals and lots of aspirations, that at least I have for them, but I have no higher goal than that they walk in truth. Because if they walk in truth, then the rest of their life will fall in place one way or the other. They would have the foundational building block. So we've been talking about all areas of truth. Two weeks ago, we talked about the truth about abortion. Last week in in the Aftermath of the passage of issue one, we we talked about why we have trouble in this world, truth about trouble. Today we talk about the truth of homosexuality, and next week we'll talk about the truth of transgenderism. Not because we're trying to hit just like we like to talk about difficult topics, but if our faith doesn't intersect with culture and our faith is not worth a, a dime, if our faith doesn't intersect with culture, we might as well go be Amish. Our faith must intersect with culture, our Christianity must intersect with culture and so we have to hit these difficult cultural issues and one of the big cultural issues that we have of course is homosexuality and I want to tell you that Jesus is a friend of homosexuals, he's a friend of sinners, aren't you glad that he's a friend of sinners? He wouldn't be a friend of you, or he wouldn't be a friend of me. Matthew eleven nineteen, 19, they were putting Jesus down, the religious people, they were putting Jesus down, and the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, he, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. A friend of tax collectors and sinners. The religious people were putting him down because he was a friend of tax collectors and a friend of sinners. As you've heard me say hundreds of times, we come to all areas with grace and truth because Jesus came full of grace and truth. And if we're to be Christ-like disciples, then we must come to all areas situations with grace and truth and that's why I prayed Jesus friend of sinners for you because in the very title of that song you have grace and truth Jesus is a friend grace of truth of sinners truth we must come to all of these issues with grace and truth we also must come to all of these issues knowing that we're talking about real people This is not the concept of homosexuality, we're talking about real people. If I had people stand right now who had gay people or lesbian people in your family or close friends, we'd have a third of you at least stand. I would stand. My brother is gay. And because my brother is gay has not changed my stance on homosexuality. My stance is still the same. When my brother came out to me after 32 years of marriage and three kids. He said, Mark, I know it's wrong, but I can no longer deny the reality. I said, I love you, brother. You'll always be my brother. There's nothing I can ever do to make you not my brother. You're always welcome in my house. Grace. But your partner is not truth. I cannot model that for my boys. In a world that is trying to convince my boys that they need to affirm any type of sexual lifestyle, it's the home where we have to teach them what is right and what is wrong. We, we need to remember that we're talking about real people. Can I tell you about a real person in our church? I'm not going to call out the name, but that real person has been in my office and said at the age of eight he started having homosexual tendencies and started acting on those at the age of nine. That continued through middle school and by the time he got to high school, an interest in girls and some peer pressure from other guys to date girls, he kind of started going with girls for a while. He got married. He went into the ministry. He was on staff at a church. But when he discovered discovered gay-specific pornography that raised all those old desires and tendencies and inclinations in him. And as a pastor of a church, he started a six-year homosexual relationship as a staff pastor. And he started that homosexual relationship with another pastor on staff. This is somebody that's in our church. When he finally got up the courage to confess to his wife, she, in midst of tears and screaming, she sensed God was telling her to n- not to leave. This man found a counseling counselor, found accountability group. and his marriage has stayed intact, his whole family knows the truth, his marriage has stayed intact, he's 15 years free from homosexual action, which is really the only thing the Bible puts down, the Bible has no understanding about inclinations and desires, the only thing the Bible condemns is homosexual behavior. And he says, by the grace of God, I'm resisting those desires today and living a heterosexual life. That's somebody right amongst us. Now, let me tell you something. If if you're trying to figure out who that person is, um, the devil is working on you right now. It's none of your business who that person is. And you should have no desire who that person is. Jesus is a friend of sinners. <laughs> and when we talk about the sin of homosexuality, we have to remember that we're talking about real people. People that we love. People that we want to include in the church. All people are welcome at Xenia Nazarene. You know, you see, you see a sign every now and then at certain churches that says, we welcome all. That's a, 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 a clue that they're gay affirming. Everybody's welcome at our church. If we didn't have sinners, if we didn't welcome sinners, uh, I wouldn't have anybody to preach to. And when you come to our church, this is the second message I've preached on homosexuality in 13 years. When you come to our church, you're not going to hear a message about homosexuality every week or every other week or every month or every other month. You may, every now and then, I will, will allude to it. You'll hear God's Word preached. And what I found out about God's Word and what you found out about God's Word is God's Word is an equal opportunity offender of all people. I want to tell you this morning that Jesus is a friend of sinners. And homosexuality is just one kind of sin. And there are real people that are amongst us. Real people that are amongst us. Can I play a video testimony, please? Can we play that?
1: I had a pretty crazy college life. I was definitely a partier. My favorite place in the whole world to be was the LGBTIA Center. And I would uh, sit on panels in various classes to advocate for support of the gay lifestyle. My partner's mom was a devout Christian. And she invited us to church every week for, I think, a couple years. And we would go. It was a really big church nearby. And there were definitely times when homosexuality was mentioned in the sermons. You know, that it's a sin and you need to repent and get right with the Lord. And I would have panic attacks in the pews. I didn't want to hear that. But I would sit there and pretend like I was fine, like it didn't affect me at all. I worked really hard at twisting the scriptures to try to make myself feel better but i still couldn't get around what it actually says and it's very plain one night after christmas i was on my way to a new year's eve party and i decided because i was in the neighborhood to stop by my partner's mom's house i was going to drop off a gift for her so i let her invite me in and i sat down and she looked at me with tears in her eyes and she said uh, Please just imagine yourself standing before Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, on the judgment day. And think to yourself what you're going to say to him when he asks you what you've done with his word. And I, I was speechless, and, and instead of going to that New Year's Eve party, I parked my car under a street lamp and I opened up my Bible and I started praying and crying out to God. Even though I didn't know what kind of future I was gonna have, it was worth it if I could have Christ for real. I think I was under that street lamp for six hours, reading the Bible and praying and crying out to God to just make my repentance real. And the Lord met me and he was faithful. And from that moment he started changing me into a new creation. All of those worries that I had been so worried about, those were false worries because the Lord has more than supplied everything that I thought I was going to lack. I have a new family. I have A community of believers all around me that love me I have more friends than I ever did before and I have Jesus and I don't have to fight his word anymore I can I believe it and it changes me
0: I want to amend something that I just said you know, when I told my brother that, you know, brother, you're always welcome to my home. I love you and so forth and so on. I said, but your partner is not. There's times I wonder if I did the right thing on that. I, I feel like I did the right thing for me and my family. Maybe you would do something different on that. But I, felt, I think I did the right thing for my boys. and as a parent I'm, I'm the most important teacher my boys will ever have and they watch me and they watch Sue obviously I want you to know Jesus is a friend of sinners heterosexual sinners and homosexual sinners we come to this issue with grace and with truth he's a friend that's grace he's a friend of sinners that's truth. Jesus is a friend of sinners, but I also want to tell you that he spoke truth to sinners. <laughs> he wasn't afraid to speak truth to them. In Luke chapter 5, verse 32, Jesus says, I have not come to call the righteous. So if you're a righteous person and you do everything right and you're not a sinner, you have no, Jesus has no place for you. He didn't come to call you. He came to call the sinners to repentance Jesus spoke truth Jesus said in Matthew 5 18 Jesus said truly I tell you until heaven and earth disappear not a smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law the old testament Jesus Jesus upheld the law Jesus made the law even harder Jesus said you've heard it said that Jesus, you said, you heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. I tell you, if you commit adultery in your heart. If you've committed adultery if you do it in your heart. Even if you look at a woman with lust. And Jesus made, Jesus up the law. Jesus was a friend of sinners, but he wasn't afraid to speak truth to them. Some of you remember the story of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist called out King Herod. And King, he said, King Herod, you divorced your wife, and now you're married to your sister-in-law. Now, King Herod ended up being beheaded for that call to truth, that call to righteousness. And you know what Jesus said about John the Baptist in Matthew eleven eleven? He said, there's never been anyone born a woman that's any greater than this man that came preaching truth. There's never been anybody any greater than that. He went right to King Herod and said, man, the woman you're married to now is your sister-in-law. Jesus was a friend of sinners, but he spoke truth to them, right? John 7, 7, Jesus says about himself, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify to them that their works are evil. This didn't sound like a kumbaya kind of Jesus to me. world hates me he says because my i testify to their deeds jesus said to the adulterous woman he says i i don't condemn you and john 8:11 says i don't condemn you you go and you sin no more he, he just didn't say i don't condemn you you know it's okay you know, you were probably raised in a bad home. You probably didn't have good parental upbringing. Probably didn't have a good husband. No, he says, don't do it again. He said, don't do it again. Jesus is a friend of sinners, but he wasn't afraid to speak truth to all kinds of sinners. Well, you say to me, well, Jesus never mentioned homosexuality. You know what? You're right. He did. He did. He, um, but he uh, affirmed heterosexual marriage. There's, there's a couple different ways that you can say what's right and what's wrong. You can call out what's wrong or you can say what's right. I could have five women up here. And if I pointed out which one with my wife, I could tell you the four that aren't my wife or I could tell you the one that is. Jesus said what was right about sexuality. And we need to do more of that church instead of saying what's wrong about it. We need to proclaim what we're for, it's what the song just said, and not just what we're against. Church. I'm part of the church. I'm preaching to myself and just allowing you to listen this morning. So, Jesus didn't address the issue of homosexuality. He just upheld Genesis 1. He says, In the beginning, God created them man and woman. For this reason, a man will leave his wife. He just upheld that. So I, 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 as a preacher, I can either talk about what's wrong, and there's probably a place and time for that, or I can uphold what is right. That's what Jesus did. He just upheld what is right. Also, although in the Gospels we don't have any words of Jesus, we have other words in the New Testament. And are the Gospels more important than other passages of the Bible? If so, how do you get that? How do you elevate some parts of the New Testament over the other. Like the words of Jesus are more important than the words of Paul. If, if that's what you believe, where do you get that? What is your defense? What is your, what is your rationale? What's your apologetic for that? Apostle Paul's talking about a whole bunch of people when he says, they in Romans chapter 1, verse 25 through 27, so they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. 26, because they did this, God gave them over to their shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural run, ones. 27, in the same way, the men also abandoned their natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty of their errors for two millennia of the Christian church. We have believed that. And only in the recent 30 to 40 years we've tried to change those passages not because they're not true anymore. It's because we don't like them. You go back to all the church fathers and all the people that you respect in church history. They affirmed all of that. Are we smarter than them? Are we smarter than them? Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Do you not know the wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of heaven? Do not be deceived, neither the sexual immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men. Isn't it interesting he just groups it with other sins? He just groups it with other sins. He doesn't hold it up. He just, just lists a whole bunch of things. Go back one slide to that first. There it is. Or do you not know that the wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral. How many of you were sexually immoral before you came to Christ? I was. Jesus links that. Same sentence. No, no worse, no better. Than what he's getting ready to say. Nor idolaters. Well, we don't worship statues anymore. Well, any time we put anything above God, we're an idolater. Idolatry is probably one of the biggest sins that humanity has. Sexual immoral, no idolaters, no adulterers. Heterosexual sin. M- mentioned right alongside homosexual sin nor men who have sex with men nor thieves nor greedy nor drunkards nor slanderers nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God it doesn't it doesn't just say homosexuals will not inherit the kingdom of God it says a whole slew of things will not inherit the kingdom of God so why as a church do we as the body of Christ stigmatize one sin How do we do that? You know why we do that? Because we don't have inclinations that way. And we always think other people's sin is worse than our own. And for some of us, me included, I'll be transparent here. I'll say it, it's not very cool to say it, I'll say it. For me, it's gross. I'm being honest. So why do I possibly put it up there higher? Because I don't have trouble with it and I think it's gross. I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just being honest with you here. And I have enough confidence in God that I can be honest with you all. I don't have to cover up and try to be somebody I'm not. Paul writes in 1 Timothy... Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9 and 10, we also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels. And who are those people? The ungodly, the sinful, the unholy, the irreligious, those who kill their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for sexually immoral, for those who practice homosexuality, for slave traders and liars. He listed with a whole bunch of other stuff. Jesus was a friend of sinners But he he spoke truth to them, and God's Word speaks truth to them. And we can't elevate one part of God's Word, Jesus' words, over any other part of the New Testament. I just don't understand how that is logical to be able to do that. (laughs) And as I've kind of already alluded to, I, I want you to know that Jesus is a friend of sinners, and I'll just say, as I've kind of already said, all kinds of sinners. Sinners like you and me, and sinners like those horrible homosexual people that we so like. I had a homosexual in my office one time, and he says, Mark, I'm not a flag waver. You know what he meant by that? He said, I'm not a flag waver. It's many don't march in the parades out. In, you, you know what percent of homosexuals are not flag wavers? They don't march in those ugly parades that you see out in San Francisco. 90%. I'm not a flag waver, Mark. I just live my life. 90% are not those people that are doing lewd things at a parade in San Francisco that we really get upset with, that I get upset with. That the media portrays. Media is so much at fault here for portraying that is the homosexual lifestyle. But that's what people like to watch. Jesus is a friend of sinners, he's a friend of all kinds of sinners, all kinds of sinners. And to all kinds of sinners, he has one word to them. He starts... If, 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 you, if, if you've ever studied the book of Mark, you know that Mark is pretty much a summary of Jesus' ministry. And Mark, Mark is just going 100 miles an hour through Jesus' ministry. But when Jesus... The first thing that Jesus says as Mark has given this summary of Jesus' ministry, the first thing that Jesus says is repent. And he says that to all kinds of sinners. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news about God. And what is the good news about God? The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near repent and believe the good news the entrance into the christian life for all kinds of sinners is that you can't have it your own way anymore you can't have it your own way anymore repent that's why when paul summarizes the gospel in romans ten nine, he said if you will confess your mouth that jesus is lord Now, how am I going to confess my mouth that Jesus is Lord if I don't repent of my own lordship? And my own lordship is the biggest problem I have. That's my problem. And so Jesus, this friend of sinners, says to all kinds of sinners, heterosexual sinners and homosexual sinners and thieves and swindlers, Ever seen the preacher that's 150 pounds overweight preaching against smoking? (laughs) All kinds of sinners. God's word is an equal opportunity employer. Offender, excuse me. (laughs) I went to hear Sam Alberry this week he was at Cedarville University and Sam Alberry is a pastor in Nashville he's from England and Sam is um, always been a kind of hero of mine Sam, Sam is same-sex attracted but he lives his life according to the truth of the scriptures and the only the only option that that the only option that truth that scripture gives you for sexual activity is monogamy within marriage, okay? So sex outside of marriage is wrong. Living with each other outside of marriage is wrong, even though people do it and people in church do it. The only option Jesus gives for sexual activity is monogamy within marriage or celibacy and singleness. It's the only only option he gives. And so here's this man who admits that he's same-sex attracted. But he has brought himself in line with the truth of the gospel and is living a celibate life and preaches the heck out of the gospel. He's a hero of mine. Really is. I'm going to read you this quote. I don't like to read to you, you know that, but here's a quote from him. Ever since I have been open about my own experiences with homosexuality, Christians have said something like this. The gospel must be harder for you And when I say I admire him, I'm probably saying that too. So Christians say the gospel must be harder for you than it is for me. As though I have more to give up than they do. Hear me, church. But the gospel demands everything from all of us. If someone thinks the gospel has somehow fit into their life easily without causing any major adjustments to their lifestyles, it is likely they have not really started following Jesus at all. And you who are serious Christians understand that. If you're not a serious Christian, you don't understand that. the gospel has fit really neatly into your life and without very many major lifestyle adjustments for you, then you're probably not following Jesus at all. Because I had to make drastic changes in my life. And the reason I didn't come to Christ forever, the reason I looked at people sharing the gospel with me, says, I believe everything you said, but I will not accept it. It's simply because I didn't want to make those changes that I knew Jesus would make in my life. I wanted to sin. I wanted to be Lord of my own life. And Sam Albury, a sex, same-sex attracted man, says it's no harder for me than anybody else. Heterosexuals, they've got to give up everything. If you, can, if you don't deny yourself and take up your cross and follow him, you cannot be his disciple, Jesus said. Christianity is no easy thing. We're empowered by his grace, but living the Christian life is one of the hard, it's probably the hardest thing you will ever do. Hmm. I'm amazed at the grace of God. I'm amazed that God can forgive me. Somebody says there'll be three great surprises in heaven. There'll be people there that you didn't think would be there. There'll be some people not there that you thought were going to be there. And the greatest surprise of all is that you made it. I'm amazed at the grace of God. Do you know how much a scoundrel I can be? See, you laugh at that because you don't think I'm serious. Now, I'm not outwardly a scoundrel. I've learned how to modify my behavior. But you, you, you know what can go on inside my head? The, the, the scandalous things that can go on inside my head that on a frequent basis I have to say, Jesus, don't let me think about that again. Now, if you don't have those... That battle right there, you're not following Jesus. Can I tell you that my wife is not the only foxy girl in the world? And I have to resist my inclinations. You see, my inclination, the way I was born, I wasn't born to be a one-woman man. And there's not a single man in here that was. So when they talk about born that way, I wasn't born the way I was supposed to be born. It's called the sinful nature. The Bible talks about it everywhere. The entry for all kinds of sinners into God's kingdom is repent. You cannot have it your way anymore and that's why the gospel is tough if you're really serious about living it. If you're really serious about living it. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones is is a pastor of yesteryear and he says this and I think I've got it back here for you. He says the ultimate test of our spirituality is the measure of our amazement at the grace of God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is a famous German theologian did great great work and time of the Nazi occupation. And he said, if my sinfulness appears to me to be in any way smaller or less detestable in comparison with the sins of others, I'm still not recognizing my sinfulness at all. How can I possibly serve another person in unfeigned, that means unfaked, humility, if I seriously regard his sinfulness as worse than my own? Jesus is a friend of all kinds of sinners. And how can I single single out or stigmatize gay and lesbian people as somehow they're worse than the stuff that I deal with? And if I see them as someone that is in the need of the grace of God just as much I am, that allows me to minister to them better. Jesus was a friend of... All kinds of sinners. You know, quoted the passage a little bit earlier in John 8 that Jesus told the adulterous wo- woman, you know, says, woman, where are your accusers? And all the guys that were going to stone her had, had dropped their stones and walked away because they realized they were being hypocrites. And, and, and she says, there's nobody here, Lord. And he says, well, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Um, unfortunately, the church of Jesus Christ sometimes gets that backward. If you go and sin no more, we will not condemn you. Jesus worded it his way and on purpose. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. You see, the adulterous woman would not have had the power to change if she did not feel the acceptance of Jesus. And the acceptance of Jesus is not a reward for me getting rid of the sin in my life. He did not say on the cross, go fix yourself. He says it is finished. Now respond to that acceptance. Acceptance does not mean affirmation. Acceptance does not mean I'm affirm you. Acceptance means that I need grace just like you need grace. You struggle with different things that I may struggle with, but we're both deeply indebted, indebted to the grace of God. Without the grace of God, we're bound for a sinner's hell. Hmm. Jesus is a friend of all kinds of sinners. Her message is not stop sexual sin. Her message is behold your God that, is, that accepts you and calls you to a better way. And none of us, heterosexuals or homosexuals, can get rid of the sin in our life without that acceptance from God and without living in that amazement of the Father's grace and without living in his closeness and in his presence. You wanna get rid of sin in your life? Walk closely to him. Know he's right there beside you. You can't sin when Jesus is right there beside you. If you know that he is, he's right there walking with you. told some teenagers one time, I said, you know, they were talking to me about struggling with sexual passions and how hard it was to turn off those passions. I said, you know, you can turn those passions off just like that. They said, no, <laughs> Yeah. you're an old man, Mark. And I said, no, you really can. You know, I'm not so old that I don't remember, you know, the lights are low and I don't know what they call it now, but in my day it had something to do with running a baseball diamond. <laughs> and the passion is tough, and I know that. I've been there. But you can cut it off in a dime when her father walks in the room. And in the presence of the Father, your illicit sexual passions are gone. When the Father's in the room. What do we tell homosexuals? The same thing we tell heterosexuals. The same thing we tell thieves and swindlers and anything drug addicts and anything else. Repent and believe the good news is that he's loved you so much he's died for you. And he loves you so much he's told you how he wants you to live because he knows what's best for you. Jesus is not some cosmic killjoy trying to kill all of our pleasure. He knows what's best for us. And some of us have lived long enough to know that he was right. And we were wrong. And that's what a father does, right? That's what I do to my boys. They're dumb like I was, right? They, they're only 21 and 19. They, they can't be anything but dumb. Now, I probably won't say it that way in the second service because I have all these kids down here, Okay. They can't be anything but dumb. They really can't. And I know that young people don't like me saying that, but I was the dumbest of the dumb. Please learn from me. Please don't make the same mistakes I did. Don't wait till you're 34 to bend your knee to him and repent and realize that I got to do it his way and not my way. Well, the cross, of course, as we've said many times, is the greatest expression of Jesus' love for us because on the cross we see that he is a friend of sinners because the cross shows unbelievable love and compassion. Unbelievable love and compassion. But also it shows how sinful sin is. That the Son of God had to die. So you see grace and truth right on the cross. <laughs> no greater exhibition of love for anyone than the cross. Jesus showed unbelievable compassion. But also, the cross shows how sinful sin is, it, it just spotlights truth. And sin is so sinful. The son of God had to die. Jesus, God had to send his son to die. Grace and truth. Friend of sinners. And I I hope you don't come out of this message today with, boy, Mark really preached against them homosexuals today. I wish my gay cousin could hear that message. No, I hope we all heard it. What did you hear me say? That the sin of homosexuality is just a whole big group of sins. A lot of them that I've committed. Unless we understand that our homosexual friends are much in the need of the grace of God than we are, we'll never reach them. As long as we ostracize them and stigmatize them and think that they're and I I'll be honest with you, I have a tendency to do that. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I have difficulty looking at my own brother without seeing him through the lens of his lifestyle. And that's wrong. I wish that's my fallen nature. I wish I didn't do that. I'm not sure who I ever feel the love of Jesus in me until I stop doing that. Father, forgive me. On the night before he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and said, this is um, my body which is given for you, all of you here who sin in all kinds of different ways the Bible doesn't say that any of them were homosexual but they all had their own different inclinations and Peter seemed to deal with pride all of his life you know some people say well just come to Jesus and your homosexual desires will go away maybe Why well, haven't all my sinful desires gone away Why haven't all your sinful desires gone away? But why quick are we to say, just come to Jesus and you won't be gay anymore? There are some people that struggle with it the rest of their life. It may be one of the reasons that God allows us to deal with tendencies and struggles the rest of our life is so we'll always, always be deeply indebted to the grace of God and know how much we need it. And we never get over it and so good test of your Christianity is not that you're sinless it certainly is that you sin less but my sin is magnified in my life you know why? because I hate it and even small sins in my life I hate and I want them gone I hope that's the way you feel about your sin and I hope you know that sin is just not an outward thing attitudes of the heart Jesus took bread and he broke it said to do this in memory of me always remember me Jesus said wonder why because you always need my blood you always need my sacrifice for you you always need my grace After supper he took the cup and said this is the cup of the new covenant that's in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in memory of me. Father I hope today you've helped me uphold your grace and your truth. And as we leave this place today, I hope that we see ourselves as deeply indebted to Jesus, the friend of sinners. And for the the gay and lesbian people in our life, we won't affirm them, but we'll accept them. We won't alienate them. We'll speak truth to them when the opportunity arises. But we'll see them as someone that needs to be born again, just like we needed to be born again. Father, nothing could be further from the truth than if we somehow kept it at an arm's distance, sinners and the outcast, because you brought those people to yourself even at the expense of the religious people condemning you for it. May we not be worried about what other people say on however we deal with homosexuality. May we not be worried about somebody saying that I'm too easy on it or too hard on it. May we deal with it the way that you've prompted us to do that. And we know we know that you'll prompt us to deal with it with grace and with truth. And if we're called to be Christ-like disciples, then I'm called and every person in here is called to be a friend of sinners. Take these words. Convict us if we need conviction. Burn them into our hearts. May it not just be another sermon maybe words that we live by in Jesus name amen